I'm Dr. Gene Hemsler, and you're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. For more than 25 years, my associates and I have been providing straightforward, no-nonsense advice for your financial questions. Email us at drgene at hemsler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, July 29th, 2017. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Well, good morning, good morning. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest running, most respected money show on radio. As you can tell, this is not your usual list of hosts here. I am Nick Antonucci, research analyst here at Hensler Financial, joined today by Dan Deluzio, CPA out of our uh, perimeter office, and my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keene. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Glad to have you here. Good morning, everyone. So uh, you guys know how the show works. We'll go through a bit of a market roundup in this first segment, uh, give you the rundown on what's been going on in the markets over the last week, what we can look forward to next week. Then we'll uh, follow up with a case study, a little bit of tax planning in the works for you guys. And then uh, we'll answer some listener questions as we always do. But I guess we'll start off as usual with a little bit of an economic recap, guys. We've had plenty of economic releases oh, come yeah. out in the past week, plenty of earnings reports from companies. We're in kind of the uh, the hot streak of earnings season right now. It was now. dull there for a while, but it's... It's certainly picking up yeah. now. Um, we'll start off with existing home sales, uh, which came out on Monday. Fell in June. Uh, it was a low number of listings restricted to home supply. It's something we've continued to see. There's not a supply, a lot of supply out there, whether you're talking right. about existing homes, new homes. Uh, you know, builders are citing a number of different things, shortage, uh, shortage of workers, uh, shortage of land. So not a huge shock there. So sales were down 1.8% still um, up, from May. Still up year over year, 0.7%. Yeah, yep, median home price for existing single-family homes also increased at its fastest pace in June, um, up to $246,480. Wow. So pretty impressive there. Uh, keeping with home data, I guess, on Tuesday we got the latest Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Year-ago growth in the 20-city composite slid a little bit uh, down to 5.7%. Again, it's still up. It still grew by 5.7%. <laughs> like it's that's just not, disappointing. Uh, right. Yeah, it's no. just not appreciating it quite the pace that we've seen uh, in recent times. Um, it's below the 5.8% growth that we saw in April, so only a 0.1% decline there. Growth in the 10-city composite also decelerated to 4.9% year-over-year in May, and that's down from 5% that we saw in April. So not huge drops there. The National House Price Index, so if you're looking countrywide, uh, rose 5.6% over the 12 months ending in May, and that matched April's pace. It's definitely good to see that breadth there, though, because a, 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 lot, of, a lot of what I've been reading lately is some concerns about uh, capital fleeing China, focus in areas like Seattle, et cetera. So to see that the nation as a whole is outpacing the 10 city index is, it's good to see for sure. Absolutely. And you talk about, you know, uh, uh, money flowing here into real estate, Canada, especially, you know, we've looked into that recently where prices are 
through the oh. roof. It's outrageous. Yeah, almost 30% there in uh, Toronto. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that same day, Tuesday, we got a little bit of consumer confidence data, which uh, showed an increase in July, gained 3.8 points, rose to 121.1. That's our highest reading since March. Um, unfortunately, last month's index was revised down a little bit to 117.3. That was only about a 1.6% readjustment. Consumers reported more favorable present conditions and higher expectations. So the two components there, both positive overall and a gain in labor force optimism as well. Um, this kind of ties into the two previous uh, indicators we, we mentioned. Plans to buy a home rose to their highest level since December. So confidence remains strong. That's obviously a big component into the housing market. Right. You know, it's also interesting. I was reading uh, out from the AAII, which is uh, the the individual investors, the independent investor sure. uh, survey. It also re reached a level just as high as March as really? far as bull, net bulls against bears. So it's 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 interesting to see that moving in unison. kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully that's something that isn't an indication, you know, both those hitting a peak isn't a, a sign of a turning point. But I guess we'll find out. Um, again, more housing data. Our weekly MBA mortgage applications was released on Wednesday. Um, applications rose slightly. Again, you really kind of want to look at this on a moving average, not a week-to-week -week, uh, number here because it is weekly. Composite index rose 0.4%. Refinance index rose 3.4%, uh, while the purchases index was 2.2% lower. Um, new home sales that same day, single-family homes rose in June. Um, rose 0.8% from May, May ended up 9.1% from June. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about residential data, but there's a whole other side to real estate. Obviously, that's the commercial right. side. And, Jacob, I think you can speak a little bit yeah. to what's been going on there. Yeah, this is uh, an, actually something I was looking into today, and I discussed with Nick a little bit. I think on the cycle, um, if you look at the K. Schiller um, House price index, you're looking at about a 4.5% annualized gain. If you look at commercial, that's since uh, that's since basically the low. I, I want to say I want to say in, in in residential, it was it was uh it the the uh, the date I was using was uh, in 2009. Okay. Um, for both, um, it might not have been the exact low, but I felt like that was approximately the low in the sure. credit cycle essentially, um, and. Anyways, on, on the commercial side, it was almost 9% uh, wow. annualized. Uh, so with that being said, um, Green Street has their uh, – Green Street Advisors has their commercial property price index, and they came out uh, recently saying that for the first time year over year, they saw a decline in that um, since 2008. And in the report, uh, there's some interesting things in the internals um, – they saw actually industrial rise 9% year over year. They attributed that to some of the e-commerce sh shifting there. Sure. Mall properties were down 5%, strip retail down 4%, and apartment buildings uh, fell 3%. So, some uh, of those aren't big shocks, and honestly, the decline in mall and retail is less than may maybe you'd expect considering yeah, considering what the dire they've talked about malls. Yeah, no right. kidding, R exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not talking about a, a huge decline here. Just just to note that it's down year over year, and we could probably attribute most of that to a tightening credit, uh, which kind of leads us into uh, what's happening with the Fed. We actually had a, a FOMC monetary policy meeting this week. Yeah, on Wednesday, and. Really, the, the I guess the takeaway points here, while you didn't get too much to digest, was, all right, you know, we're coming off several periods of interest rate increases, right? We're right. one to one and a quarter percent now. Now the talk is the Fed unwinding the balance sheet. You have balance sheet level that you've never had in the history of, you know, the country. Right. How do you unravel that? 
Right. And obviously you can't unwind everything quickly. You know, you shock the economy. How right. do you do it? How does the Fed go about doing this? And obviously they're going to – they you know, said it's going to be a very slow process. This could take, what, five, ten years. Who knows how long this is going to take. But it seems as though the focus has come off of hiking rates now. Right. And the focus is on unwinding the balance sheet. You can see that. We look at the world interest rate probabilities chart, something we have access to through Bloomberg. And for the rest of the year, and, and honestly through September of next year, you don't even see a 50% probability of, of no. the next rate hike. No, no. I, no, I find it interesting. And, and to your point about the, the, the speed, I, I think we're talking about, a, what, a $4.5 trillion balance sheet? Yeah. Um, which is just – it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. It I mean, what is, what is U.S. GDP? It's like $17 trillion. You're right. talking about mm-hmm. 25% of yeah. – anyways, I, the, pl- the initial plan that I saw I – need, I need to catch up on this – was uh, – I think it was like 30 billion of MBS a month, a month, and like 20 billion of treasury. So that's and that's in the end. That's when they get to that 50. Right now they're talking about doing 10, 10 a month. Right. So and it's going to be very they slow. That, they'll, they'll hike it and then until they get that 50. But exactly I think, what you said. I think what's interesting about the approach is uh, we got we got some of the interest rates right here in front of us, Nick. Uh, I mean, we're looking at a two tens spread, which is kind of a proxy for the shape of the curve. Right. It's under one. So a lot of the time, the fear is the inversion of the curve. It's signaling recession. If the Fed has to hike, basically, where the market's pricing growth in the future uh, less than immediate immediate growth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think I think what we're seeing is the Fed's going to try and use that balance sheet first because they can sell off the long end. Essentially, they can they can reshape the curve and that's in a way. the plan absolutely you know you would expect when they're not out there buying back as much as they are every month you're going to see prices come down right you know right. you're going to see yields move up and and that's that's the plan that's the hope um how and when that will happen is still to be seen you know other things to consider is janet yellen's term is about to run up is this something that she starts as a legacy right or is this something where she says well i mean because all, while she's still a candidate the expectation is that she's not going to be reappointed, right? So, or renominated. So, is this something that she's like, I'm going to go for it and leave a lasting legacy of the the person who you know began the interest rate hikes really and and started the unwinding of the balance sheet, or does she play it safe and decide? It's interesting you know, because they're talking, they're they're hinting essentially at September right now for this this new program, right? And she's up for uh, renomination. renomination in February, so mm-hmm. you only get what, three or four months there to see the effects of this new policy. Yeah. So it's definitely going to be interesting. We had uh, a couple other things, jobless claims, the moving average is basically the same. Um, yeah, not, not a lot. Not a lot happening there. there. You, uh, and durable goods. Um, Positive sign for manufacturing, right? It, it, was, it, was, it was a big-time headline number, 6.5%. But a lot of that was in the non-defense aircraft, and, right. and we, we saw today, I mean, Boeing has been performing well um, on the new orders front. So uh, just a, a little bit to think about there. Yeah, hopefully we'll see the core pick up too. Guys, I think this is a great, t- uh, great time to take a break. We'll come back, have a case study, and a dog of the week for you guys, and listen to some listener questions. We'll be right back. Time for the... 
dog of the week. Well, in typical Money Talks fashion, we have to follow up the second segment or start the second segment with the dog of the week. Try and fill in for Troy here. Um, you're listening to Money Talks again. My name is Nick Antonucci. I'm a research analyst with Henza Financial, joined today by Dan Deluzio, CPA, and my fellow research analyst, Jacob Keene. So, guys, my dog of the week. Baltimore police officer mistakenly records himself with body cam planting drugs at a crime scene. So I actually watched Smart. the, you know, short clip <laughs> to kind of see how it all unfolds. And sure enough, this guy decides he's going to plant some drugs in a little, looks like a tin Coke can or, you know, can like that on the ground. And then walks back over to his fellow officers. They come back with him. And he, you know, appears to find some drugs in a can. Gee. Problem is, is obviously his body cam was recording this whole time and the public defender saw it. And now, obviously, the charges have been dropped here, but the officer involved in this is a witness in other active cases. They're saying approximately 53 other active cases that are going to have to be revisited. Oh, the DA then, is going to wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the likelihood of these so there charges was, standing, these 53 other cases, you have to figure almost there's a way out of the – oh, yeah. I would imagine they're going to oh, yeah. probably yeah. get thrown out. Yeah, I would think on so. On the probability that it might have happened before. Right. Yeah. So some of those, some of those people – May have may have gotten set up, but there's mm-hmm, going to be right. some few lucky criminals. They got a there. second yeah. chance. Yeah, saying, yeah, yeah I think I did too. <laughs> you did that for me too. That's right. All right, guys. So um, one thing we we didn't touch on in the first segment is you know how's the market doing right now, and a little bit of a recap on earnings season. So um, year to date, we're looking at the S and P 500 up about 11.71 percent. Pretty good year, led by information technology, something a sector in particular we'll touch on later. With a listener right. question, um, also uh, top performer healthcare and consumer discretionary, followed by materials utilities. We only have two negative sectors for the year. That's telecom and not a big shock here. Energy with oil prices declining again. Um, for the week, the market uh, is flat, actually down one basis point. We'll call it flat. Uh, telecom has been a good performer this week. You had AT&T and Verizon earnings both come out, probably driving the majority. Of that, but to look at earnings season as a whole, Jacob, I think it's been pretty good. I mean, last last oh, sector we had 15% earnings growth overall. Um, obviously, we're only about halfway through earnings season, but we're seeing 9.2% earnings growth for the S&P 500. Yeah, 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 and that's that's going to be that's going to be 5.7% roughly above expectations so far. Yeah, so. surprise has been good. That's good. So, and any big surprise here that the leading sector is technology? Yeah, right. Yeah. No. 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 no I'm. I'm starting to get a little tired of it. But yeah, well, well, we can talk about that. <laughs> interestingly, though. Interestingly, uh, before, real quick before we move on, though, uh, looking at it, it, I've got a consumer discretionary as the biggest beat. So it, it, expectations are probably really Pretty low, low in it. some of those uh, retail type names. But it looks like we've had some really positive reports come through. So maybe this could be a turning point. I think it might be something we touch on a little later as well, Nick. Absolutely. Um, we'll move on now to our uh, weekly case study. This case study uh, circumstances here. Antonio's business has been doing well this year. He's just shy $200,000 above his mid-year target. Are there any moves or actions he can take to improve his business and tax situation? Uh, Dan, I'll let you kind of take the lead here and then kind of give us an idea of some tax strategy and kind of the importance of having uh, you know, tax advisor, CPA, who not only, you know, does your taxes every year, but can offer you advice and some strategy in, the, in terms of how to maximize your profits and take advantage of these tax laws. 
Yeah, I think you've hit a couple points already, but just getting back to Antonio, it looks to me from the facts here that his annual sales, so 200,000, my first read of this was, well, 200,000 over what? Over 5 million? Over 10 million? His right. annual sales are about 680,000. So obviously he's in a good place if he's, you know, midway, he's normally at about 440. Sure. Now he's at 640. So that's. Or we're not 440, 340. Now he's at 540. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So consequently, so he may have a tax problem come December. Sure. Here we are in, in July, and and there's no time like the present. I always tell clients that. You know, don't wait. We, a lot of times we, we deal with our clients in the fourth quarter for tax planning, and sometimes it may be too late. Right. So these are kind of things, particularly for small businesses, we as CPAs a lot of times act as their their advisors throughout the year for a lot of these situations. And if you see you're having a great year, you need to contact your advisor, your CPA, and say, hey, listen, we're way ahead of what we thought we were going to be or way ahead of projections. What do we need to be thinking about between sure. now and the end of the year? And there are a couple things. And so schedule some time with your advisor to go over these things if you haven't already done that. Because obviously our job as a CPA is to make sure that we can minimize taxes for you, but we obviously have to have the information to do that. So we don't know what's happening if you don't tell us. Right. So, Communication so again, is key. Absolutely. So that's, uh, so a couple things we can do. First of all, think about what is uh, you know your business deductions are the big thing. Obviously that reduces business income. So that's the key player here. So think about what's going on. You know, there's a lot of tax laws out there that are in our favor, so that we can be doing something with those. Uh, for instance, you might at the end of the year or even or between now and the end of the year look and see what kind of office expenses uh, in terms of furniture fixtures equipment that you might need for the type of business you're in you know there is a section it's called section 179 deduction that is allowed and you can deduct up to a half a million dollars in sales or not in sales uh, right off your sales a half a million dollars in equipment purchases assuming you're a small business okay section 179 is a part of the tax code It's, it's section 179 of the tax code and what happens is The government, uh, through the PATH Act, which was back in 2015, which stands for, believe it or not, is protecting Americans uh, from tax hikes. That was P-A-T-H. And it was signed by former President Obama. But what what the good thing about it was, was these were floating. A lot of these tax deductions were floating, and and these put this in place. It said, you know, we're going to keep the the Section 179 in place. Every year we had to wait to hear if we were going to have that limit and what the limit was going to be. Well, now the limit is $500,000. It was effective for 15, 16, and 17. Effective in 18, that limit may go up according it's, – it's, it's attached to inflation. Okay. And it goes up in $10,000 increments. So we just have to wait and see about 18. Uh, but also, even if you're not – a small business is defined by anyone who has purchases or equipment or say or purchases of equipment, furniture, fixtures for their business of less than $2 million. Okay, when you exceed $2 million, then dollar for dollar of that 500000 that they allow you to take off immediately starts going away. So by the time you hit $2.5 million, you can no longer take that right. $500,000 deduction. Now, but everyone, small business, big business, can still write off up to 50% of your of your uh Furniture fixtures and improvements and things of that – not improvement, furniture fixtures, equipment, equipment and things like that. So they – everybody has that advantage, whether you're big or small. 
the advantage of being small is you get 500,000 plus 50% of what's left. So in a year so, like, like this for Antonio, maybe a good year for him to expand, think about growing the business. Absolutely. And those are the kind of things you want to do to expand and, and, and buy equipment or buy things you need to expand your business for other years, for, for the future. Sure. Now, the other thing we can also talk about is, you know, I don't know how small, you know, a lot of small businesses, are you taking the deductions you should be taking? Are you taking automobile expenses and things like that? Uh, you know, you can get mileage or you can get actual expenses. Mileage this year is 53 and a half cents. Uh, are you... Uh, are you deducting the appropriate meals and travel and entertainment that you can get? So there's a lot of things out there you need to be consulting with your CPA or your tax advisor to make sure you're getting the right deductions. Okay. Also, if you're in, in a point where you can, you can afford it, what about looking into a retirement plan for your employees? I mean, it's one of the best things that's out there. You know, you have between now and the end of the year to set this thing up. Depends on the number of employees you have. If you're by yourself, if it's an individual, you've got a lot more options. Right. So those are the kind of things you want to be discussing with your CPA or with your financial advisors because you've got time between now and the end of the year to set that up. And the beauty of being in business is very often is you have until you file your tax return to make those contributions in a lot of these plans. Sure. So don't overlook that. So it does give you some deferral on putting the money in. So I mean, if your if your CPA can't can address a lot of these issues, it may be you know a signal to you you need to consider finding someone finding who, somebody who can, who can. absolutely. Yeah. And one last thing, there's a you know if you if you are hiring new people, there's a uh, there's a opportunity to get credits that are out there. They're called work opportunity credits. And if you hire like veterans or you hire people who are disabled, things like that, a certain percentage of their salaries can be actually a tax credit or. So those don't overlook those things. Georgia also has some tax credits for people who are uh, hiring uh, employees or not even hiring employees for existing employees. If you're changing your, your, your software and, and you have to retrain employees, well, there's a portion of their salaries that you can get as an owner as a tax credit. So don't overlook any of those things. There's a lot of things out there that between now and the end of the year, if you haven't already started thinking about or someone hasn't told you about, you need to find somebody who will. Absolutely, and we're halfway through the year now. So these need to right. be things that are on your mind and, and, and very much play into next year even. You know, be thinking right. ahead. Yeah. And one last thing is uh, there's the what's called the HSA, which is the health savings accounts. If you are an individual in a, in a small business and you have a high deductible insurance, you've got health savings accounts that you can set up for a family. You can put $6,750 away this year as a deduction right off your ta off your tax return, your income. And if you're single or your uh, or your wife works and she's in a plan that that doesn't fit the HSA criteria, then you can, if you still have a high deductible individual plan, not only can you write off your insurance premiums for those, but you can also put money into these HSA plans. And as a single person, it's 3400 a year. And if you're over 55, on That's each of those, family or single, you can put another thousand dollars. Up to forty-four. Okay. So it really does make a you know a difference. Absolutely. And and if if anyone listening here is small business owner and you would like some tax advice, you can reach out to us at seven seven zero four two nine nine one six six. Guys, I think this is another good spot to take a a break, pay some bills. Uh, you're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. country, you've got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. Money, money, money. 
Welcome back. You are listening this to is Money Talks. Money Talks. Atlanta's longest running, most respected money show on radio. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Dan Deluzio and Jacob Keene. Welcome back, guys. Um, we're going to take some listener questions now. And if you have any questions of your own you'd like to have us answer on the air, you can uh, call us at 1 855 429 9166. You can email us at drgene at hensler.com. You can reach us on Facebook, LinkedIn. I think we have an Instagram now. We're all over. So uh, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them in to us. We'll be happy to answer them, whether it's financial planning, stock-specific, tax-related. Send them on over. So, guys, um, our first question today is from our good friend Bill Murray. I recently heard a commentary on a Pittsburgh station concerning counterparty risk. Deep in the bowels of some ETF prospectuses, there are clauses that permit the manager to lend fund shares to a third party, which in turn makes a derivative bet against the underlying security, creating a cascading risk. Such a scenario evokes thoughts of 2008 to 2009. Please explain this concept. Is it something to worry about? How prevalent is this? All of my mutual funds and ETFs are at Vanguard, and they track indices. So it's a great question. It's one that you don't really hear brought, you don't hear brought up a lot. Um, but this is very much true. There's kind of two types of ETFs. You have physical ETFs, and then you have synthetic ETFs. More than likely, especially since you're holding Vanguard funds, you're holding physical ETFs. And essentially what you own is if you own S&P 500 index fund, you own the corresponding shares of every component, all 500 stocks in that index. You're likely not holding any derivatives, uh, no swaps, which is really what the synthetic ETFs are made of. So you shouldn't have much to worry about. But it's a, it's a great thing to be aware of, and it's a good reason to read the prospectus and know what you're buying. Um, synthetic ETFs, on the other hand, as I mentioned, um, basically they're going to hold a derivative of some sort to track that benchmark. It could be swaps, could be options. And, and a lot of times you see these right. in either commodity funds or leveraged ETFs or and inverse we, ETFs. We see it, uh, We also see it a lot in Europe because different Much tax, more prevalent tax implications. Yeah, really, really the way they're constructed is you, you hold uh, kind of like a substitute basket. Right. And then you you create a generally create a swap with uh, your your uh, prime bank essentially that that you're creating an exchange uh, in in the future for the returns of some represented whatever benchmark. So even the event of you know a counterparty default, you still you still hold the substitute basket. Sure, and, so and collateral. Some, Yes. Yeah, so in some instances, um, that substitute basket may, let's say, for instance, you have the, the S&P 500, right? That substitute basket may only hold 100 of the securities just for efficiency's sake. And then they create the deal with the bank because of the, the, the more beneficial tax treatment. If the bank were to, you know, default right. on that uh, derivative product, you still, you're, you're not going to zero, essentially, Correct. is what I'm saying. But absolutely, there is counterparty risk. There is a risk that the other, let's say, investment bank doesn't deliver. It would probably take a financial crisis or some pretty large event for most of the banks to do this, um, to really have a default. But it is a very real uh, possibility. But Mr. Murray, to answer your question, I don't think holding Vanguard funds, you have a whole lot to worry about. So I think you can rest assured that as things stand now, you're pretty safe. One other thing to note on these is, you may see much lower expense ratios a lot of times on these synthetics. Um, not that you can spot that and pick it out, but a lot of times they are more efficient. Um, so hope that answers your question. 
Our next question is from Melissa from Kennesaw. My roommate and I have unofficially started a side business. We both have first-time jobs, but the pay is low since we just graduated. We've picked up several odd jobs, walking dogs, pet sitting, babysitting, house cleaning, etc., to make some extra cash. We haven't made more than $600 from any one individual person, but we do have business cards and advertise with them. How legit is this side hustle, and will this affect our taxes? <laughs> well, that's actually good. Uh, I think they're all related, those dog walking and pet sitting and babysitting. <laughs> but, con- like it, yeah. <laughs> but consequently, and house cleaning too, uh, just because we don't get more than $600 from one one uh, person, which is usually the threshold where someone is supposedly to issue a 1099 for miscellaneous income, it doesn't mean it's not income. Okay, so in the eyes of the IRS, income is income. They don't care where it comes from. It's how it's reported is the important thing. And is it a business income or is it income from a hobby? Right. Okay. And so there's a lot of things to determine whether it's a real business, okay, or whether it's or is it just a fun way to make money. Right. And uh, so and if it's a real business, well, then you need to file a Schedule C inside your tax return. And on a Schedule C, it allows you to take – you report the income. It allows you to take related deductions to offset that income. It also allows you to have more deductions than income on a Schedule C, which means you can have a loss. That loss can offset other income on your tax return, or if you're in a really legitimate small business and you've got tremendous losses for one reason or another, you could possibly have a loss carryover to offset all your current in future, income and in future, carry yeah. over to another year or carry it back for a refund from a prior year. Now, that's that's a business, okay? Now, a hobby, you don't get that. A hobby, the, you, the government gets everything. You report the income. And you can offset it with expenses up to the point of zero. So when you get it, when you get your income down to zero, well, you you really you don't have to report. You got a zero there, so you're not really being taxed on it. But on the same token, you can't go below zero and take losses in a right. hobby. Okay, and it's reported in different places on your tax return. On a hobby, if you've got income, it's just reported as a miscellaneous income item. I think it's like other income on line 21 or something. Okay, so. Anyway, the, the important thing is, though, keep good records on Absolutely. both the income and the expense because if you're ever, if you're ever audited, you're going to need to substantiate. Don't the, automatically think it's a bad thing that you have to report it, the taxes. Absolutely. It could work in your favor. All right, let's move on to another question. Ray from LaGrange, I'm really not one for finance or investing. I let my adult son do the tinkering. I paid for his college education so he can do this for me. Long story short, he's telling me to buy shares in a bunch of stocks. Most of them I know, Apple, IBM, etc. But there are two, Universal Corp and Service Corp International. What the heck are these? I feel like I'm investing in Acme from the old Roadrunner cartoons. Can you help an old man out so I know what the kid's getting me into? Good question, although I will say one of the names you threw out there, IBM, concerns me more than these two are going to look into for you. Fair enough, yeah. But uh, Universal Corp is a tobacco company, small, uh, small cap company. Service Corp International is... Kind of a depressing subject. Death, funerals, burials. Oh, it's oh. yeah, but that's that's guaranteed it's good business. to happen. It's booming. That's good guaranteed business. It's one of those few those death and taxes. One of those right. absolutely <laughs> absolute Uni- things. Universal. Um, lo- looking a little bit into it, it's it's pretty interesting. They're a multinational company. About fifty percent of their revenue um, comes from outside the U.S. If I remember correct, actually, right. I think it's, is it is fifty that's outside the U.S. Um, I couldn't remember if it was 50 or 15 it was in the U.S., but I think it's 50%. Anyway, a lot of international exposure here, which we actually like because smoking rates here in the U.S. are on the decline. If you look internationally, Asia, they're on the rise. So you, if you're going to have tobacco exposure, 
which is you know good exposure to have. It's a pretty stable business. It's good to have a growing segment that you're exposed to. So these guys aren't necessarily – they're not a cigarette maker. They're not your, your Philip Morris, no. your Altria, that sort of thing. They actually grow the tobacco and sell to your cigarette companies. Right, yeah, that numerous different uh, blends of tobacco, I guess you would call it, or, or types of, of leaf for numerous different functions. Um, they have, they do kind of have a concentrated uh, revenue base when it comes to their customers. It's, it is mainly large tobacco, but they'll provide the smokeless, the scars, all, sure. all, all the leaf tobacco. Um, and circling back a little bit, it's, it's actually only 15% exposure to the U.S. It was, the it was 50% for the rest of the world. Hmm. Um, one of the things that, that I think is kind of interesting about this particular name um, is first and foremost, they, they're really more of a basic material type company and that they are just providing the tobacco, uh, tobacco itself. It's, it's commoditized. Um, they, they work with farmers. They, they own the supply chain. Um, and I think that may be to a benefit in the future if you do get you know, a, a new market in cannabis. Sure. So uh, They have the infrastructure. They have the relationships with the growers. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh, and it's 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 come down, it's 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 come down, um, you know, in 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 recent time from from uh from a revenue and profit perspective, but I, I see some cyclicality in that, um, and that you know you do get the supply and demand imbalances. Sure. Um. So overall, I think it's we're okay with you taking a position, holding that position in Universal. Uh, a little more on Service Corp. I'm positive on that company as well. Um, earnings growth should persist at about 10.5%. Growth rate, the nature of the business, too, is kind of where the aging population is an obvious catalyst. So long-term results, this is not a short-term play. You want to hold this thing longer term, right. especially because your, your demographic 70, 75-year-old population is expected to grow its fastest in the next 10 years, which is really where this company is going to yeah, and at, at a market growth. valuation, at at a seventeen four PE, exactly. a boomer play, it's it's really attractive, financially exactly. healthy. And, and this is one thing I thought was surprising about this. I would assume it would be more uh, recession resistant. It actually did not perform well at all in the recession. Got lost about seventy five percent. Wow, that is surprising. Yeah, I guess I, I guess there is some upselling there. Clearly, in, in, in sooner and well. Yep. Well, guys, this is a good place for us to. Uh, Take a break and listen to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined by Dan DeLuzio and Jacob Keane. And we are listening, uh, answering some of our listener questions uh, in this segment following up from the last. we got a couple more that we want to address. As I mentioned previously, if you have questions you want to email into us or call, you can email us at drgene at hensler.com, or you can reach us at 770-429-9166. So uh, our next question up is Jonas and Kareen from Ackworth. I guess this is more of an opinion rather than your typical question. I'm interested to know if you think sales tax holidays are a good thing. My wife was really good about saving the back-to-school shopping for the kids until the sales tax holidays, and that certainly saved us money. 
With Georgia dropping out this year, she's quite mad. I'm not sure it'll really benefit the greater good. All right. Thoughts? Yeah. I've heard pros and cons. Obviously, the consumer likes it. Okay. The uh, the retailer does not. They could, in fact, they've, there's been studies that actually show that uh, people just defer sales. For, and, uh-huh. and there's like the first the three weeks before and the two weeks after, the retailers say the sales are down. Yeah. So that, that's huge, huge so, disruption absolutely. to their operations exactly. because they need to hire a bunch of people just right. for two, or two days. Right. And so consequently, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, the consumer likes it, though, because they save up everything and just go for that weekend for sales to save, to save the sales tax. Now, the retailer, and it's really an unscrupulous thing to do, there's been several instances where they've seen where retailers actually raised the price that weekend anyway. Really? Oh, wow. So that's not always a you good thought thing. You, so were you, yeah. deal, you thought you were getting really? a deal. You thought you were getting a deal. The only thing you got was sales tax off of a, low, of a higher price. Yeah, so Georgia's the third state since 2010 to drop this. Right now there's 16 states that will hold the tax holiday this year. So you are, I'm, I'm wondering if this will be out of 45 that have sales tax. There's five that True. don't even have sales tax. Valid point, yeah. Oh, wow. So, and, and uh, well, the other thing is, if you think, uh, I, I read an article where it's a lot to have to do with politicians Right. As to how they love the sales tax oh, I'm sure. holiday because for them it's uh, you know they, they they can how they dictate what's what is capable of getting the sales tax reduction is a political football for them you know <laughs> if, if we want the uh, the electronics industry or some favoritism for that we'll say well we're going to give you a sales tax holiday on all computers and electronic things yeah if they I, want it for something else they can change their minds and absolutely uh, I'd be curious to see and we don't have the numbers here in front of us but. How much tax revenue is missed out on by offering, you know, the two-day yeah. two holiday a year? I know it used to be where uh, – I think it was – I don't even remember the months anymore, but July was always – or in August was always for school products. Right. Then there was another month somewhere in the year where you could get so many – you could get your sales tax free on appliances yep. and things. So, I mean, those kind of things, again, all it did was people waited until that weekend to buy, and then they didn't buy the three or four weeks before and after – and so the retailer really didn't see that much of a sales increase. Uh, the, the consumer, like I said, always likes it. The politicians play the football. Well, so. It's going to be a sad back-to-school season this year, I guess, with no, with no tax holiday. Yeah. You can start spending your money now, I guess, <laughs> right? So, it's, yeah, it sounds like there's, there's some winners and losers, but on the net, it's not really a great idea. Especially, especially when you're thinking that uh, most states do actually have to balance their budget, unlike the federal unlike government. The federal government right? <laughs> right. So if they don't make it there, they've got to find another yeah. place to make up to plug the holes. Absolutely. Okay, next question comes from Samuel from Atlanta. Curious how high-end retailers are doing with this every week a new high run we've had. I'm looking at PVH and Ralph Lauren. I think it's this is you know a great topic. I love this topic because it's in a time where retail as a whole. Um, Everyone's negative on retail unless it's e-commerce. Right, right. And so you mentioned high-end retail um, and PVH and Ralph Lauren. That's Philip Van Heusen and Ralph Lauren. And I'm kind of torn as to whether or not you consider these high-end retail, first of all. Um, If this is high-end, then you have to consider the the Louis Vuittons, 
the Hermes, the the Dior's, those ultra, ultra high, ultra high. I don't know. Is there a, okay. is there a category? <laughs> I, I don't know. Luxury. And that's, when you dig into this, if <laughs> right. you look at PVH and Ralph Lauren, they're not they're not at all time highs. No, no. PVH has performed uh, slightly better recently. Um, sure. Ralph Lauren's has still been. Yeah, they're still struggling. The they're, they're down fifty percent from their all time high. Right. Nearly that. But then if you look at that, what I described as ultra high end, those stocks are in fact at all time highs. And those are the names that you would expect to continue to perform well. They don't lose that brand luster that some of these Ralph Lauren's, I associate Michael Kors, coach with these. And it's a really tough space to be in overall. We, for the most part, tend to stay out of it because right. of that. Consumer tastes change so frequently. Picking one, you, you might you know pick the hot stock for this season. Next season, take Michael Kors. It was hot after the IPO. Everyone wanted Michael Kors, and then it just got crushed. It's it was the second coming of Coach, who did the same thing. I think um, Michael uh, Michael Kors down sixty four percent from his December two thousand thirteen high. Coach still down thirty eight percent from its two thousand twelve high. And, and Coach has actually done a somewhat decent job at rebounding and kind of restoring some of that brand integrity, I guess. Um, so 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 we hear all that, and if you're thinking like me, like like I normally do, I say so they, they're probably cheap now. But I, I think I think there's a tendency to fall into value traps in certain areas here, and I think what's what's most important is really starting from the top and starting well. If we're going to fundamentally forecast cash flows, what kind of predictability do we have in that? Is there an economic moat? What are we really valuing here um, as far as what future revenues are going to be? I mean. They're in decline. We can assume they're going to bottom, but do we know that? I mean, what is the value of the the man riding a horse on a polo sh shirt? Right. Es essentially, it, it, it's taste. It's speculative as a whole. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, me and you, Nick, have talked about just on a narrative basis is how how we see generational taste kind of change. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned the narrative, and that's one thing. You mentioned if a stock looks cheap, it might be a value trap, but whether it looks cheap or not, you should always have a narrative to go along with the fundamentals. Right. You know, if you can't justify the story behind it, just because it looks cheap isn't good enough reason to buy something. Right. And and that, and that's what we're talking about here is taste they, continuously change. Yeah, I, I, I think brand one of, loyalty in, in fashion. I don't think there is a whole lot of it. I think one of the things that we've seen, um, and I've, I've read a few a few. Th things to this uh, vein as far as surveys is, is millennials, ha the only place they're really willing to pay a, a premium for, uh, for a brand is in, in athletic apparel. You'll see the Nikes and the Adidas and the success of Lululemon. Of course, it's pulled back recently, um, but it's, it's in that kind of, you feel like you're getting a performance element out of it as Absolutely. opposed to just everything else is just clothes. I mean, uh, I, I feel like personally, I have friends that do as much thrift store shopping as they do going to a, a mall, for yeah. instance. Um, so in, in that context, and if you, you pair that with the fact that you do have more boomers who, who tend to spend less on clothing, it's just not, no matter what the numbers say, it's an area that we're generally trying to avoid. Exactly. <laughs> and we'd recommend the same for you. We'd stay away from uh, these two names. Because um, we, we think that the, the, the all-time highs are a thing of the past for these anyway. Um, one more question. We're going to have to be brief on this one, and which is tough because it's such an interesting topic. But the question is, um, Q2 
curious how, I'm sorry, I heard you say last week that information technology is up 22% or so year to date. Why is this not a bubble? I read an article from The Telegraph, and it seems Europe thinks the big tech stocks are in a bubble. I, I hate to compare this to 2000 because 2000 was a time where companies didn't have revenue. They didn't have earnings, these big tech companies that would IPO. This is not like that. Companies are earning money. There is revenues. Right. Are valuations high? Yes. But where's the growth right now in the market? Where's the earnings growth? It's Technology. there. It's there. It's there. And it, it, there's so many things that are coming together to make it the area that people are uh, focusing. First, if you move to passive investment, then you move towards the high market cap names, which Absolutely. are going to be the Technology. Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks. You're going to be focused in that area. On top of that, if you're thinking about uh, trying to have some sort of some sort of uh, uh, company that's kind of away from some of these Trump type policies, these these geopolitical issues that we that we worry about, right. they're away from that as well. Agreed. Um, so you kind of put all that together, and I think what we're seeing is perhaps tech has taken a little too much of the total market at this point and that investors need to rebalance. Sure. But if you look at valuations, yeah, they're stretched yellow relative to two or three years ago. But if you look at them relative to uh, 2000, it's not even close. Yeah. So in, in short, our answer is no, we're not in a bubble. <laughs> well, guys, uh, that about wraps it up for us. As you know, we got to get get your take on where the market's going next week. Jacob, what do you say? I'm going. I'm going with down. It's just a wild hair. I'm going down. Um, I'm up. I'm optimistic. I'm gonna fill up the toy and go up. You listen to Money Talk. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.